Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the Friday bounce, and what's been a tough week for stocks. So where are we headed from here after another rate hike? Today's jobs report, Apple earnings, and the regional bank turmoil. We discuss and debate that very question with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Rob Seach, and everybody is here on this Friday at Post 9. Good to have everybody in the house, too. Let's check the markets. Uh, Dow's still good for better than 400 points. Big day. Uh, we're in the midst of that 1.5% for the S&P. NASDAQ's good for 1 and 3 quarters percent. 346, the note, uh, the 10-year, uh, the yield on the 10-year note. All right, so, Steph, that question, where are we? Well, given everything that happened this week, now what? Uh, it's been a tough week for sure. We keep on going back and forth between hard landing and soft landing. And the, the data today definitely is more on the soft landing camp. I mean, we've been talking about for, for, for years, the strength of the economy is jobs and it's wages. And we got three job reports this week. We had the ADP, we had initial claims, we had non-farm payrolls all beat expectations. That's good. Wages, though, also going higher across the board. 4.4% today in the non-farm payroll numbers, 6.7% in the ADP numbers. So the wage stories remains, right? That's, that's the problem because that's what the Fed is looking at. They want that to come down, and it's not coming down. It's very sticky. So you asked, what ch- has anything changed? No, nothing's changed. Well, the Fed I mean- is going to continue to keep rates where they are. The one thing... Yesterday, there was a 50% chance the bond market was pricing in a 50% chance of 60, July. 60. Right, I, saw, <laughs> I, saw 50, I saw 50. I mean, but, by, by the end of the day, I, it's like, but, but the bottom line I think you're saying is like, the market's pricing in cuts sooner. Yes, yes. In fact, the bond market's pricing in eight cuts by 20, mid-2024. may not happen in July. I just don't think it's even going to happen this year, though, Scott, because the numbers are still so resilient on the job front and on the wage front. That's why I highlight both of those things. That's been the bright spot. It's encouraging, but it's not going to change the Fed and their path higher for longer. Uh, we'll see uh, what the regional bank story, Rob, does on that very question, whether that changes um, the Fed. I mean, it's, it's tempered the optimism from even the most bullish of people like Tom Lee, for example, of Fundstrat, who says he still sees good risk reward. Uh, we had hoped stocks would be breaking to the upside on the Fed pause. But with the tailspin in regional banks, this is making stocks more challenging. In our view, we still see good risk reward, but the timing's been pushed out. Is that I, fair? I think that is fair because financial stability matters. But, you know, the notion of... Uh, uh, of the Fed being disconnected with the bond market is still the most important thing. As Steph pointed to, jobs critical. You kind of had a, 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 a report today that was a little bit like Goldilocks. It kind of took recession off the table, but it keeps the Fed engaged, just not to the degree that maybe maybe they 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 indicated they would be engaged. I think that's temporary. 
I actually think markets are extended, valuations are extended. You can't be incredibly negative yet because I don't want to price the, in the recession that hasn't arrived yet. But you have to temper your enthusiasm about price, about what's going to happen to earnings. Earnings have come in it down 4% for the first quarter. Markets were anticipating 8 That's why we're residing at the top end of this range, Scott. And I think if anything breaks bad, you're going to see us retest the low end of the range. If we get a recession, you're going to see us test the very low end of that range, which is 3600 Don't get it. Get a slowdown, 3800 But pushing above 4200 is going to be really hard. I mean, Tom Lee also, Jason says, it's a tough time to argue adding risk. I mean, you can say... You try to lay out all the reasons, but as long as you've got regional bank uncertainty, now you're obviously getting a massive bounce today and a lot of 100%. short covering. Some of these, some of these stocks are up 70%. I, I looked earlier. I was like, 70%? Uh, Flow Show, Michael Hartnett, Bank of America, argues to sell the last rate hike. They've seen the largest weekly outflow in nine weeks, the biggest outflow from growth funds in 10 weeks, and they believe a U.S. recession is now imminent. So play that card for me and tell me where, where it gets us. I mean, it's an interesting call. I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback off a lot of Steph, what Steph already said about, you know, the labor, labor numbers that we saw today. I mean, 3.4% is a 50-year low, you know, as far as labor is concerned. Uh, we had unit labor costs that were up 6.3% uh, this week. We also had, to your point, Steph, uh, labor inflation, labor wages up 4.4%. So I think these are areas um, that are concerning for the Fed, and the Fed is looking to very closely. But again, 3.4% in terms from a labor force perspective is still strong. Um, I do think the Fed is going to pause at this point, and I think that could be uh, a catalyst for the market. Is that Let's positive? Is it a positive? I've heard it. I've heard it argued both ways. Yeah. That of course, naturally, it's a positive. Okay, the Fed's done, but you know, if they pause or they cut, that means that things are deteriorated to the point where they've had to cut much sooner than they have have ever expected to. I mean, even the Fed chair threw cold water all over that idea right. a couple days ago. So I think it's what they what they said in the presser is they're going to be data dependent. So I'm, I'm not really excited about a cut at all. And to your point at the top of the show, 60 percent, you know, pricing in, a, in July of a cut. I don't think that's the right move at all. Let's see what the lag effect of all the policy that's happened over the last year and some change, 500 plus basis points in policy moves. So let's I see, think let's, let's see how that goes. And let's see what the CPI is next week and the PPI, PPI right? So we're going to get a lot, lot of data next week. Next. You know what's interesting, though, Scott, throughout this turmoil, I, I, the earnings have actually held up. So 84% yep. of the companies have reported in the S&P 500 and 76% have actually beaten. Yeah, no, okay, the beat and rate is Yeah, you know, it's pretty good, right? But, so, but the price action is terrible after beats. Well, it is, it unless you're a tech company, the price <laughs> action is 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 terrible, well, right? So, are we getting exhausted? Well, we, we, we could we could be getting exhausted, but I mean at the end of the day, if the stocks don't go up on better earnings, that's your opportunity, right? right. To get companies that are actually delivering in this challenging environment, yeah, in my or, opinion, Or to right? take that as, a, okay, a cautionary sign, right? You can look at that both ways. Well, Not like, oh, wow, that's a great opportunity to buy that stock because it didn't go up on good earnings. It's like, well, if it didn't go up on good earnings, maybe we got a problem. Well, when things settle down, maybe they will then recover. You'll go back yeah, to that's the, my point. the stories that are the fundamentally sound. They're going to come back to those eventually. Right. They may, that you know maybe that's the the whole point of this, right? If you're a long-term investor, you just make your shopping list. You you don't have to buy 100% in now, right? Right this moment, but I mean you're getting opportunities to to buy companies like, for example, 
Ingersoll Rand, they crushed it yesterday, right? Parker Hannafin crushed it. ITW, Cummins. Now, I'm talking just industrials in general, but I can list a whole other companies, like we were talking about the Staples companies as well. You just make your list, I think, and focus But, but on is it too early, Steph, because industrials are seasonally weak? You look at May through the, through the summer, that's not the kind of time that you want to buy, you know, cyclicals, basically, right? I so you want to have can a- you wait is the question. that I, I agree with you. I'm not massively disagreeing with yeah. you. I'm just... Is the juice worth the squeeze now? I can't time it. I think that's a good question that you you pose. It's the kind of risk reward uh, issue right now. Is it good? Is it is it even positive incrementally to start adding to to risk? And that that goes to like Hartnett, what he's saying. Well, recession now imminent. Even even Tom Lee, like when Tom Lee says man, it's kind of tough to make a risk case here. (laughs) Then you got to sit back and say, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) My man Tom says it's even tough. True. It is is tough, but I don't think you can time it. And I think you want to be balanced. You want to have some of these companies, the the defensives, like I said, the Staples companies who have had impressive organic growth. They're not cheap. Healthcare, not cheap, but there's opportunities there. And then on the flip side, I'm I'm talking about energy. Energy's gotten crushed, killed, right? Really hard time. and, and I like that sector very much. And again, industrials, because of the whole onshoring thing, they're really benefiting quite a bit. So I, I just think you want to have a balance. And, and I can't time it, so I buy in increments. I almost feel like, not, not to say nothing matters except the regional banks, but almost nothing matters <laughs> yeah. but the regional banks. I mean, there's been such angst around that area. As to, <laughs> sort of, you know, the, the question that's been in the market is who's next? That's what's there, right? D- despite what the Fed chair said the other day, that the system is sound and resilient, there are indications that it is anything but in certain areas of the banking system. However, J.P. Morgan upgrades the regionals today. With too many on one side of the boat, they say, we move to the middle. So, And they might not, not, not want to buy anymore, actually. Yeah. They might be getting buyers exhausted. Well, they upgrade Western <laughs> Alliance, Comerica, Zions. Um, they all go overweight uh, on those, which is interesting. We can show some more of those moves today, which are just astounding. But again, a lot of it is, is short covering. It's not like the fundamental picture has greatly improved overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so take that for me, Jason, with the idea of, okay, Gunlock says the Fed's not going to raise again. They're done. He said on Wednesday to me after Powell was done that the regional bank issues are not over, which is probably why he thinks the Fed is not going to raise again. Right. How do we play this? So I think, uh, you know, I think the call is a little bit too early here. I mean, the, the KRE is down 38% year to date. It's down 15% month to date. We all know the issues that are going on in, in the regional space. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's still headwinds and, and there's still things that I think that might, potentially might play out under the surface, you know, as it relates to the regionals. And I think that's why you, you've seen the flow to the larger money center banks, the big boys. Um, and guess what? The regionals are the bedrock of the economy. We need them to work. I just think it's it's early now, cost of deposits, there's a lot going on there. Optionality from a money market and treasury perspective. I just think regionals right now are not, are not there's not an opportunity there for me. You tempted, you tempted here? No. Value picker? No, absolutely not. Yes, you are. Not. I know you are. No, no, yes, you no, are. no. You're not? Because, You're not tempted? Because Bank of America is now trading at 0.8 times 7 times book. So that is very, very rare, right? Okay. Yep. So, and the stock is down 17%. And Wells Fargo is 0.88 times book. 
and the stock is down 8%. It's actually held up relatively well. Morgan Stanley is only down 2%, but it's now trading at 1.4 times book, which never trades at 1.4 times book. So to me, I look at these large cap companies, they're much more diversified, and I, and I think they're much more they have much more excess liquidity, so they're in better shape to handle some of these downturns. And I think, most importantly, they're taking share from the regional. So why that's, do I want to lose like that? That's the Mike Mayo Goliath is winning. Sort of. Thesis. Yeah, I mean, I think Not so. Not sort of. I mean, it's been but guess played what? out. But guess what? They're, they're so large, right? And I thought they would have held up much better. And they haven't held up that much, right? That's why Bank of America down 17%. It's a big, it's a big move down, well, right? Because you're worried, you know, there's still concerns about the broader economy. X the regional banks. Before the regional banks even got part of the conversation. Agreed. I know. I know. But at least they're diversified and at least they're doing the right things. And they... And, and I don't and they're not going to have to raise capital like some of the regional banks are going to when the when the regulators make all of the banks having to raise more excess liquidity. By the way, their margins are exploding. I mean, right. They don't have to pay a lot for deposits right now And the margins of the regionals are getting squeezed like you wouldn't. Believe. We got to we got to go. The president is speaking. Let's uh, let's listen. They've been working straight through and uh, about what we're, how we're growing the economy and uh, from the, uh, the middle out and the bottom up. And uh, so uh, this morning, uh, we got some good news from the jobs report. Um, we added 250,000 jobs last month. That's on top of the 12 million jobs we've already added just since we came in office a little over two years ago. Unemployment rate is at 3.4%, which is the lowest in 50 years. Black employment has hit a record low. And uh, the really good news is working age Americans are participating in the labor force at the highest rate in 15 years, not just since the pandemic, in 15 years. And the working age women are participating at the highest rate in 75 years. Inflation is now down 40 percent since last summer. It's come down the last nine months in a row. We obviously have more work to do, but we're trending in the right direction. And uh, I think we're making real progress. And we're doing it basically, which was the theme of everything we're internally working on, by investing in America. Say it again, investing in America. Matter of fact, the secretary and I were just talking about a project that uh, was taking place in another state. And uh, the reason that uh, we're having a significant investment in America, they said, well, we can't build this unless we, we go ahead and uh, contract out for a lot of work. She said, no, I'm not going to do that way. Well, guess what? They figured out how to do it in America at the right price, at the right time, at the right state. And uh, so we got a lot more work to do to make, uh, but we're making real progress. We've already attracted $470 billion in private sector commitments in manufacturing and clean energy technology. And, and we're bringing back the supply chain to the United States. I don't ever want to be in a position again where a major initiative that we have and a major element of our economy is dependent on a supply chain somewhere else in the world, particularly if it's not particularly friendly. And we're doing all this having reduced, the, having already in the first two years reduced the deficit by $1.7 trillion. That's occurred. That's happened. It's done. And the budget I proposed to, that we're going to, that I proposed back on March 9, I think it was, the, first couple weeks of March, that budget, if it were to be passed, would cut the deficit another $3 trillion, $3 trillion over the next 10 years. Unfortunately, our 
I won't say Republican because I think they're not, they're pretty well divided, but our MAGA Republicans in Congress are threatening to undo all this progress by letting us, quote, default on the debt unless we agree to their demands. The two are totally unrelated. Whether you pay the debt or not doesn't have a damn thing to do with what your budget is, what your budget is, where you're going to spend money, how you're going to raise the money, what are you going to cut, what are you going to, that's the, they're two separate issues. Two. And let's get it straight. We're trying to hold the debt hostage to us to agree to some draconian cuts, magnificently difficult and damaging cuts. But I'll get into that in a little bit. But unfortunately, uh, they're threatening to undo, uh, um, uh, undo all this progress by letting us default. Um, and uh, their budget that they promoted that was attached to their debt ceiling increase. Um, but they tied them together now. I want to make that clear. You all know this, I know. But for the listeners, they've tied it together. They say we're not going to we're not going to increase the debt that every president has done for the last six million years here. Uh, I mean, never hadn't done anything but that, unless you pass our budget as we're proposing. Now, their budget would put 21 million people at risk of losing Medicaid. It would cut federal law enforcement by 28,000 personnel, 28,000, FBI, DEA, et cetera. It would cut 100,000 teachers and support staff. It would cut 30 million, 30 million veterans health care visits. And I increased the VA budget because the veterans were in such difficult shape, having so much trouble getting appointments and the like. According to Moody's, not, not, not the Democratic Party, according to Moody's, their budget plan would eliminate 780,000 jobs. Say it again, it would eliminate 780,000 jobs, according to Moody's. And America's debt has accumulated over 200 years, and my predecessor, in the four years he was president, increased it by that total debt by 40 percent. Four years. Four years. Let's be clear. And by the way, even during that period, all the Republicans voted to, uh, the Republican Party voted to increase the debt limit, like the only responsible thing you could do. At any rate, let's be clear. This is no small part about paying our bills that we accumulated, that were accumulated not by me, not by my administration, but by former presidents and previous Congresses. I was in the Congress, so I voted for some of them as well, but I wasn't president. We're not a deadbeat nation. We pay our bills. And some of you cover a lot of foreign policy in other countries. You know this is becoming an issue in other countries. What's the United States going to do? Are they really fooling around with not paying their debts? And so, look, next week I'm going to uh, reiterate to congressional leaders that they should do what every other Congress has done, that is, pass the debt limit, avoid default. And as I've said all along, we can debate where to cut, how much to spend, how to finally move the tax system where everybody doesn't pay their fair share or continue the route they're on, but, under, but not under the threat of default. Let's have the normal arguments. That's why we have a budget process to debate and open so you all can see it and know exactly what it is that they want to spend the money on, what they want to cut it on, who pays taxes, who doesn't pay taxes, and us as well. 
We're ready for that debate. We're ready for that debate. We've made enormous progress over the past two years. And again, just today, reporting 250,000 new jobs. Just this last report. The last thing this country needs, after all we've been through, is a manufactured crisis. And that's what this is, a manufactured crisis. And that's what it is from beginning to end. It's a manufactured crisis driven by the MAGA Republicans in the Congress. Look, instead, we should be debating a vision of our country's future, their vision versus our vision. Totally legitimate. Totally legitimate. That's legitimate. The American people said we like their vision better than ours. But debate the vision and whether or not we're going to take our country backward and certainly not whether or not we're going to default on our debt. And I remind you that under the previous president, Republicans voted three times to increase the debt limit. Three times. No one's ever not voted to increase the debt limit. There's a lot to discuss today about our vision for the country. And in investing in America is the core of what we're all about, and to build our economy from the middle out and the bottom up. And I know it's not very appropriate for minds of many of our friends on the other side of the aisle, but decide what's a fair tax system. This is an awful thing to do, and I don't really mean it, but I'd ask the president to raise your hand if anybody thinks the tax system in America is fair. You know, okay? And maybe you don't like the way who we tax and how we tax. But this is about everybody beginning to pay their fair share from our standpoint. I understand the Republican position. This is about cutting taxes, more taxes for the wealthy. I get it. But we should have the debate in the open, not behind whether or not we're not going to discuss it because if we do, we're not going to have the debt limit passed. And so, um, you know, I, I think we, we, we've got a lot of work to do. I'm, uh, and I'm doing a major press conference this afternoon, so uh, I love you all, but I'd like to ask you to leave so we can get down to business. I'll be happy to talk to you about that, but not now. Mr. President, yesterday here in this room you talked about the dangers of AI. What are the dangers you see, sir, and did you hear anything from the executives that assuaged your concerns? There are dangers. We'll get a chance to talk about all those things, I promise you. prepared for the lifting of Title 42? Uh, that's President Biden speaking today on the jobs report. And of course, the fight over the debt ceiling, which doesn't seem from the president's comments to be softening in any way. Let's bring in our senior White House correspondent, Kayla Tausche, for more. That seems to be the message taken from these remarks, Kayla. Yeah, Scott, I mean, the president's there with what he calls his investing in American America cabinet. They've been deputized with touting the policies he's enacted so far. But the elephant in that room is the June 1st deadline by which they have to come up with some solution to avert a default and raise the debt ceiling. Uh, the president's own Council of Economic Advisors this week published research that shows that if they get even close to a default, the uncertainty in the market risks reversing the job growth, the economic growth that the administration has enjoyed up until this point. And that's why last hour I reported that among the considerations in the White House as they strategize before this meeting with congressional leaders next Tuesday is the possibility of a shorter term extension to buy them more time to negotiate with Republicans over spending cuts that the president in those comments suggested that he is open to, although the president also said he wants to raise taxes, which House Speaker Kevin McCarthy 
McCarthy has said is a non-starter for him. So publicly, both sides are still digging their heels into uh, their respective positions, which are still pretty far apart. But of course, the devil is going to be in the details in that meeting on Tuesday. And both sides have also acknowledged that they do not want a default. Neither party can afford to be seen as responsible for the havoc that would be wrought on the markets if that were to happen. So we'll see what other options are on the table. But ultimately, it's seen by sources that the way this could play out is the need for a shorter term extension, though the big question, Scott, is what Republicans would try to extract from the White House and, uh, and congressional Democrats in return for agreeing to something like that. Yeah. Kayla, appreciate that very much. Uh, Kayla Tausche down in Washington for us. You feel like the market is appreciating what's happening with the fight over the debt ceiling. Now, I, I say, OK, you, you can break that down between the equity market and the bond market, because mm -hmm. if, if you showed the, the one, three and six month yields in the bond market, they're reflective of this. They're all over five percent. And in some cases, the one month is at a 20 year high. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that sort of shows you where this debate is playing out in that part of the market. Is the stock market ignoring it? I don't think we're ignoring it just yet. Um, I think as we get closer to the deadline, I think we're going to see a lot more volatility, a lot more choppiness. I think the consensus and my, well, my belief, and I think it is consensus, that they'll reach an agreement in the, in the 11th hour because that's what they usually do. And even if they don't, it's not going to take, it won't last forever, right? A month or so what, or whatnot, we'll see. We'll see about the credit agencies, what they do, if in fact we do not get an agreement, but I'm assuming we do, but I ex expect volatility to actually increase in the next couple of weeks. You talk about risk reward. I mean, over 5% on those on those three T-bills, one, three, so, and six. So, so I would argue that the stock market's completely ignoring it right now. The bond market is not. If you get in Scott Wapner's hot tub time machine and go back to the summer, August of 2011, and talk to me about not what happened, but the process leading up to what happened and the volatility that we saw I think there's enough risk that you could see not the same level of volatility because I don't think anybody believes we're going to default on our debt, but the rhetoric is going to be terrible. It's going to be, it's going to be a grinding process that I do think brings some volatility to the stock market. Well, I mean, if, if June 1st, Jason, is a real, in quotes, deadline is put forth as a possibility this week by the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, it's not that far away. We're a few weeks away. 100%. 100%. And I would agree with Rob. I think the bond market is very much in line with what's happening. I don't think the stock market is. Um, to a certain extent, this is some part of theater. I mean, this, this happens. This is the story we often see when they're in this type I mean, of cycle. theater of the absurd. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. But I do, you know, to Steph's point, I do agree that they will. And I think that's consensus. Rob yeah. probably agrees as well that they'll get something done, you know, but this is this is what happens in between time. And let's see how the market responds. All right. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we do have obviously the big move in Apple today that we need to discuss. We have some committee moves as well that we'll run you through when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, good for nearly 400 uh, still on the Dow, uh, led in part by Apple, top stock within the Dow today. Rob Seachin, so uh, EPS beat, revenue beat, iPhones beat, gross margins beat, raise the dividend, authorize the buyback. If you're long Apple, this is what you wanted to hear. I mean, the last of the fangs to report didn't disappoint you. It didn't disappoint, but there's, there's some concerns there. And, and, and the concerns are this driven by buybacks, driven by, driven by pricing power in the iPhone. Other parts of the business weaken, weakening, right? The service, the service business didn't quite perform as they wanted it to. Now on the momentum side, the stock is gonna do well because of all the positive momentum that it has right there, and obviously the power of the buybacks. But in addition, we're starting to see kind of a risk-off trade, and Apple's a beneficiary of a risk-off trade. But I'm gonna tell you, we're looking at this, we're neutral Apple, and we're thinking about going underweight. And the rationale is for what I outlined. Apple's a stock that trades at 28 times earnings, right? It's been at 35 in the pre-pandemic peak. It's, it's certainly not there. And you could see that stock trade higher. But the reality of it is, is there's not much left there. It doesn't have the diversity of the business that someone like Microsoft has, which I know we'll talk about a, uh, in, a, in a little bit, in the software section where where I think they are beneficiaries of enterprise spending for efficiency. And so Apple's in a little bit of a different situation. And I don't know how long consumers, if you start to see retrenchment, are going to continue to pay up and up and up for the star product in the iPhone. They're I mean, still doing a record in terms of their services revenue. But, uh, you know, the last couple quarters, I, I, I mean, the, the growth is slowing. But are you giving enough credit to their services business, which I think on its on its own would be like a Fortune 50 business? Yeah, it, it, to, to us, you know, when we look at it quantitatively, it's about the change in the rate of change in, in, in core businesses. And so we own it. I mean, we're there. The question oh, is- Oh, I know you, you own it, but you just said you're thinking about going underweight on it, which but suggests- But still owning it, still owning it, right? So it, it's a question of relative to the market. So where are you gonna get a better bang for the buck is the question. You tell me. So I think you let your winners roll in something like Microsoft, in something like Fortinet, which I'm not gonna steal, uh, you know, Steph Sunder, we own it too. There's other places that you can own that we think do better. Facebook, very low bar to jump over. It's been a monster. 
right? So well, I, I mean, you went from a, a bar on the floor to to Facebook, which is now you're trying. You you now you need a bar. pole vault. Well, what do you think Apple's bar looks? You don't you don't for Facebook. It, just because the stock price moved, it's still a, a valuation is not that high in Facebook. You, relative to its history. You look at Apple, totally different situation. You need a pole vault, right? You do. And they might, they might deliver. But you said that the, the valuation of Apple wasn't near its 35 or whatever PE high you pre-pandemic, said pre-pandemic. which is the lunatic fringe of valuation for it. Let's remember that this is a stock that traded at 16 times not that long ago. But they're growing their installed base. You know, the, the spend is actually per user is actually going higher. They have emerging markets. I thought that Tim Cook's comments at India being at the tipping point um, on the cusp of something really great. So would you be over? I'm, you'd be overweight then. I'm so. not overweight right okay. now. I'm not. No, but I honestly, I, I missed it. I mean, yeah. I think what they're doing is very good. It's hard. The valuation has always been kind of hard with this one, right? Because yeah, you're paying 100%. 26, 27 times for single-digit earnings. Well, it hasn't always been growth. hard because it was in the teens. Well, sure, but the story has evolved over X-cash, time. Cash. I mean, look, I just, I, I'm just saying, like, it's not all gloom and doom. I mean, I, if, if, I, no, if in, I was in market fact, weight, it, I would stay market in weight. In fact, Steph, it is, if it is all gloom and doom that's a place you want to hide yeah for sure <laughs> right absolutely so and i agree with you on meta i think it's much more compelling on the valuation side and you're going to go from single di- or declines in revenues to second half of the year double digit growth in revenues and that's an inflection point and I, it's ref- some of it is reflected into the stock price but the valuation is still much more compelling. some of so, it's reflected into the stock price of meta so, well some of it yeah some yeah I, well still pretty low bars and i don't think I don't, what's yeah. meta's forward pe i mean you're gonna make an argument that 17 times that, that it's, yeah. it's that much more compelling 17 just, times just on for a 30, number 17 times for 30 percent earnings growth yeah i take that way way well, over a number in catalysts right i mean they're right. they're continuing Continuing to initiate catalysts, which include refocusing on their core business. I know we weren't supposed to kind of dive into it, but there are more catalysts for Meta than there are for Apple. I think at this price point, I'm not saying that it's it's an overall necessarily better business. It's about what moves the stock price. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We do have those moves to tell you about. We'll run through them next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden said today that Neera Tanden will serve as the next domestic policy advisor, making her first or making her the first Asian-American to lead any of the three major White House policy councils. Tanden currently works as a senior advisor in the White House and has served three presidents. Tanden will replace Susan Rice, who will leave the administration later this month. Diplomats from Arab nations are planning an emergency meeting on Sunday to discuss Syria's return to the Arab League after more than a decade. The meeting comes as some Arab countries have opened up relations with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. The diplomats will also discuss the conflict in Sudan. 
And Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy met with Pope Francis yesterday. The Vatican did not share details of the meeting, which is usually it's, uh, it falls in line with its usual practices. But McCarthy led a bipartisan congressional delegation to the Middle East earlier this week. And Scott, just moments ago, we learned CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is resigning from her post at the end of June. President Biden released a statement thanking her for her service and for helping steer the organization through the pandemic, which we now know is officially over. Back over to you. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinovelis, we'll see you later today. All right, let's get to our call of the day. Software upgraded today at Credit Suisse. Uh, they say we want to be defensive and software is defensive. Um, we use that as our hook to get into your move, mm. which is... Fortnet, yes. as Rob was mentioning earlier, you bought it again after you sold it in January. Why? Yeah, I, mean, I sold it because I made a lot of money in it, right? Um, it was a really great stock for the last two years. But I bought it because I like cybersecurity. I like the total addressable market. I like what they're doing as well. Um, you're, you are seeing vendor consolidation, and they're ripe to take market share. And it's a $200 billion spend environment on cyber. And the reason I, I, I bought it, I added to it, I added yesterday morning when I saw Exclusive Networks, which is number one channel partner to Fortinet. Mm -hmm. When they blew it away, I said, oh, wow, I think that you know this Fortinet is going to have a good quarter. And they, t they had a great quarter with billings up 30%, operating margins beating, free cash flow beating. The one problem is evaluation, and that's hard to get around, but I well, just feel like long-term, well, I feel like long-term, there are a couple of names like I can own in my portfolio where I'm a little nervous about valuation, but I do see the secular growth and the tailwinds, right? And and they have it, and they're getting better at execution too. So it's hard. It's, I'm not gonna say it's 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 an easy decision. Okay. It's one of the reasons why I took profits in January, well, right? Well, let me ask you this question. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a fair question. I, I think others are probably asking themselves the same question. Um, is this the kind of market you really want to buy a stock that's up 25% year to date? Uh, yeah, when you have 30% billings growth, you have easy comparisons in the second half of the year when you have a company that is actually executing really flawlessly. I, I just think that the tailwinds in cybersecurity are so great that I think I just gonna, I'm just going to own this forever. Let, let, let your, <laughs> let your, this is an example of a let your winners run, right? This is one of the companies. But this isn't let your winners run. This is buying a winner after it's run a lot. No, but it's only up 14% in the last year, right? It got crushed last year. Yeah, so. so no, I know, but but it's up 30% year to so date. So I'm a valuation right. guy too, right? right? There are certain companies that are, the, the growth you can count on so much that they will grow into their valuation. And this is one where you can see that it will. I, I completely agree with Steph on this. We ne This is probably the most expensive stock in our portfolio. Yep. Jason Snipen, you have the obvious Microsoft, as most do. Palo Alto? Yeah, is, is, you have also. Yeah. What about this call in general uh, mm -hmm. that these are defensive and now's the time because of that? Well, listen, I mean, Palo Alto has run a ton this year. It's up plus 30 percent. EPS growth above 80 percent in the last quarter. Um, I agree with Steph. I mean, just cybersecurity as a theme. And I, and I do think, um, you know, as it relates to software, software is inherently disinflationary. We're, we're in an environment where we're talking about inflation, and inflationary is, is a concern. I think software is a solve for a lot of these problems. Not, not a software move from you, but let's pivot to your move, which is yeah. Marriott. Yeah, yeah. So Marriott had a great quarter. Uh, this, this, this. We got the numbers this week. Uh, revenue was up three percent. You know, EPS really strong. Uh, print there. Uh, it's up 17 percent year to date. It's trading at 21 times forward. You know, this was in the pandemic 
trading at 60 times forward. You know, so the, the multiples come in a lot, but Redpar up 34% worldwide, internationally up 60 plus percent. Mm. So I think this is one of these stories where cross-border travel is an opportunity, and I think they will continue to benefit. And to be clear, you, you, this is a add to, not a buy new. Absolutely. Yep. yep. All right, uh, Mike Santoli's next with his midday word. We're back in just a couple minutes. back. Let's get to senior markets commentator Mike Santoli live in Omaha, Nebraska. That, of course, ahead of Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting this weekend, the Woodstock of capitalism. What do you think the message is going to be for Mr. Buffett and Munger? Well, obviously, there's going to be a, a lot of focus and reiteration of the long-term view uh, that, you, you know, you want to remain invested. It's, it's about the businesses you buy, not necessarily the market environment you buy them in. I'm very interested to hear, because they will get questions, no doubt, about the ongoing turmoil in the banking sector, whether it's creating the kind of dislocations that would be interesting to perhaps take the other side of and, and make some fresh investments, or if there's just this not really the types uh, of businesses with the kinds of franchise values that they look, look for. So uh, I think we'll get a lot of the familiar stuff plus a bit of color on, uh, on the current tape. How would you describe uh, today's market, right? Some regional bank relief, at least in the market, and then Apple helping, obviously. Yes. Yeah, I think it's relief on a few fronts, uh, Scott. You know, after the Fed press conference uh, on Wednesday when we were talking, I said I would be a little bit surprised if the market didn't permit itself a bit of a uh, Fed, Fed pause celebration rally before the end of the week. So we got some of that. But, yes, Treasury yields are able to relax after we did get a, a good but not superheated jobs number. I think it's also worth keeping in mind, even though it wasn't the headline on Wednesday, Powell uh, by saying he didn't have a recession as his base case, was implicitly tolerant of a stronger, of a, of a decent job market. In other words, he doesn't say we got to kill a lot of jobs to get the job done on inflation. So that's why I think it comes as relief. And then Apple doesn't hurt, but here's what I'm more focused on. Week to date, Russell 2000 now outperforming the S&P 500. A little bit of hint of mean reversion after the uh, small caps and the average stock had really been left behind by the mega caps. We'll see you in a little bit. Uh, on closing bell uh, back out there. And of course, right. we're going to have full live coverage of Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting as well tomorrow on CNBC and CNBC.com. Our coverage starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Don't want to miss that. We're back right after this. The road to the Triple Crown begins tomorrow with the 149th running of the Kentucky Derby. Mike Tirico will be hosting NBC Sports' live coverage from Churchill Downs. As you can see, he joins us now. The fastest two minutes in sports going to have a pretty big field, too, Mike. It will uh, certainly judge. Good to catch up with you again. 19 horses. Typically, the Derby field is maxed at 20, but we've had a series of scratches that have made news. It was on the front page of the journal this morning, so I'm sure a lot of the folks watching are up to date on what's been going on here. But a field of 19, the favorite forte is still in the race, along with Tappet Trice. Those are the top two choices. But this is not a year where there is a super horse coming in that's a heavy favorite. I think you're going to see a widespread of the money bet on horses to win coming in this year. Yeah, it's a good point. You make three horses, in fact, are under 10 to 1 odds, so it does feel like it's anybody's race. 
It does. And then you've got this other factor called it's the Derby. You know, yeah. the reminder for me, the last seven years of covering this is the perspective of this event. This is the only time that these horses will run with as many other horses out there on the track. In this case, 19 total. It's the only time they'll run in front of 150,000 people. If it's the first time that they're running a mile and a quarter. So all of those provide a huge series of unknowns. Plus, you can't talk to the horse and find out how training's gone. So there's so many unknowns. I think that's why we've seen so many upsets over the last couple of years here in the Derby. Speaking of last year, right? Rich strike, <laughs> 80 yeah. to 1, long shot. I did look. You have a bunch of 50 to 1s. Maybe it's going to strike again, Rich. So we're supposed to talk money here on CNBC. Yeah. The thought is a lot of the long shots will not be as big a long shot as they might have been if not for Rich Strike. We can call it the Rich Strike factor. Why? There are going to be a bunch of people who are walking around saying, you know what? I'm putting 10 bucks on the longest shot on the board just in case a Rich Strike happens again. So that may take those 80 to 90 to 1 odds and shrink them just a little bit and maybe not right-size them. So that's something to watch for. And Steve Kornacki is part of our group here. He's going to be watching those trends during our broadcast on Saturday. Oh, that makes it more fun. We'll, we'll look forward to that. Uh, looks like a gorgeous day behind you, obviously. How's the weather look for tomorrow? Weather is great today. It has improved through the week. It looks like tomorrow we might see a shower, but nothing super significant. I don't think it will change how the track is. Now, for the folks and what they're wearing and their hats and their dresses and all that stuff, I can't deal with that. But I can tell you for the horses, I don't think we're going to have a sloppy track. So from a handicapping perspective, it probably will not be impacted by the weather over the next 28 hours or so. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a football question, obviously, at the sure. Voice of Sunday Night Football, too. We're just coming off the draft where it feels like the rich got richer. And I'm thinking of teams like the Eagles. Yeah, the 1% are uh, even more inside of the 1%, right? Philadelphia had a great draft. University of Georgia had maybe the best college defense over the last couple of years that we've seen in a decade, if not a half, half century in the, national, in the college football. And now four of those Georgia players are on the Eagles, including three drafted here this year. Howie Roseman won all the roses and all the bouquets post-draft for his work as the GM of the Eagles. Philadelphia, along with San Francisco and Dallas, are going to be the teams you look at in the NFC. And after that, I think it's going to be pretty wide open. The AFC is stacked and loaded. Lamar Jackson back with the Ravens, signed his very lucrative contract. Aaron Rodgers with the Jets. So everybody down there in Wall Street, they are all excited about the Jets' hopes this year. I think we're going to have a heck of a race. Every AFC versus AFC game is going to have mega importance because I think as many as 12 of those teams can be labeled as playoff teams going into the season. Yeah, Jets and Giants, stocks, both looking pretty yes. good. You have a great day tomorrow, Mike. Appreciate it very much. Great having you on. We will judge. Hopefully keep this rally going today. I don't want to send yeah. the market in the wrong direction. Exactly. We hope so, too. Say hi to everybody <laughs> down there. We'll see you soon. You got it, bud. Have a good weekend. All right. Yep, that's Mike Tirico joining us live. From Churchill Downs, Kentucky Derby starts tomorrow, noon Eastern on NBC and NBCSports.com and, of course, Peacock as well. We're back with finals next. A 400-point holding pattern for the Dow at this moment. So we got a pretty good day uh, working on this Friday. And we look ahead to next week, more big earnings. Stephanie Link, including Disney, mm -hmm. on Wednesday. Yeah. What you own? 
I do own. I uh, want to see progress on the streaming business. I don't know if we're going to get it. I don't think they're going to be profitable, but uh, we'll hear what the outline is from Iger. Um, and also, I think the cost-cutting story is really very important. $5.5 billion. We want to see what kind of progress they're making there. So I still like it. It's up a lot, though, this year. So, um, you know, you know, <laughs> we'll it's so it funny. Reacts. I got to tell you. Um, your tone, as how you describe it, reflects how a lot of people, I think, feel yeah. about this stock. It hasn't done well lately. Uh, you have it, you like it, you believe in it, but it's meh, kind of meh lately. I, well, it is meh lately. <laughs> Let's hear what they have to say next week. I actually kind of hope it is meh next week and no big surprises, but it's going to take time. This is a turnaround story. It's going to take a couple years, but I still like it. And it's still up 15% on the year, so I can't complain. No, no, but um, it was yeah. telling. Your yeah, tone's yeah, a little yeah. telling. I, I think a lot of shareholders are reflecting that that yeah. sentiment. PayPal on Monday, Jason Snipe. Yeah, 100%. So PayPal's up around 4% year-to-date, the multiple 15 times forward. So I think for me, as it relates to PayPal, this has been the year of efficiency and cost-cutting. They announced that they're trimming 7% of the staff. You know, that, that will likely play out in the earnings this week. I mean, we're talking about you know, potentially a 50% increase in net income. Let's see if that plays out this quarter. We'll see on Monday. I can't wait for closing bell today at 3 o'clock. I hope all of you will join me then. We have Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School today to react to this big week. And former Fed Vice Chair Rich Clarida will be with me as well. Um, really important interview to have at this particular time. Malcolm Etheridge with me, Bryn Talkington, and Keith Lerner as well. So we'll see you at 3 o'clock Eastern. Let's do some finals here uh, before we wrap it up. Dow's up 400. Uh, so we may close with a bang. Uh, this week. What's your final? Uh, it's Gilead. Healthcare is going to have its day in the sun. Very defensive, steady growth play, great oncology franchise, and it is cheap, cheap, cheap. And you're so, still big on healthcare? Uh, we haven't been overweight. We've been neutral to healthcare, but I, I think, you know, now's the time. It's had a rough first half, right? So. Jason Snipe. Yeah, so I, I like AXP here. It's been a little volatile over the last couple of weeks. It was a miss on the EPS on, on, on the quarter. But volume, we're up 16%. I like this name here with a strong guy. What do you got, Steph? Chevron, down 15% from its highs. And I think the stock, the valuation makes a lot of sense. Diversified revenue mix and a $17 billion buyback program. Should be nice support. Brutal week for oil. Brutal. Right? Keep your eye on crude. Uh, it's just been a rough one. All right, that does it for us. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you on the closing bell exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.